0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode 111 of the Lean Blog Podcast for February first, two 2011. My guest today, a returning guest, it's been a while, but he is back, uh, Professor Jeffrey Liker from the University of Michigan. He's well-known for studying Toyota and writing a number of books in the Toyota Way series. And he has two new books coming out here in the next couple of months. One that he planned to write, called The Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement, linking strategy and operational excellence to achieve superior performance. And a second book that was written in reaction to Toyota's challenges over the last year, a book called Toyota Under Fire, Lessons for Turning Crisis into Opportunity. So I think we have a really interesting podcast here Professor Liker shares his thoughts on what was really behind Toyota's challenges, how they responded, and how he thinks that will make them a stronger company in the future. So for past episodes of the podcast, you can go to leanpodcast.org. And to leave comments or to see notes and quotes from this episode, go to leanblog.org slash 111. Jeff, it's a real pleasure to have you back on uh, the podcast and to have you talk about your new upcoming books. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: So you've got uh, two books coming out here, uh, seems like in, in fairly um, rapid-fire succession, um, Toyota Under Fire and uh, The Toyota Way for Continuous Improvement. Uh, I was wondering if you could just kind of give us an overview um, about you know, main message for each book, and, and who you think the the target audience is. Just to chat about your books here today.
1: Well, the Toyota Way to Improvement actually will come out later in April, and that I've been working on for about two years. Uh, so that was started earlier. Uh, originally, we we're going to have uh, one book for each of the four Ps in my Toyota Way book. So I wanted a uh, process book, and a problem solving book, and a people book, and a philosophy book. And as we got into it, it didn't seem to make sense to to do that. Uh, we had edit culture which covered philosophy right. and to talent which covered people and uh, the to way to continuous improvement was supposed to cover processes as we were writing it, we kept on struggling because we couldn't think of a way to talk about processes without talking about people and problem solving mm. so uh and then as time went on uh, i uh, we, it became more and more clear that really the purpose of Toyota processes, the way, the reason that they set up, for example, a just-in-time system and eliminate inventory and uh, move processes next to each other is so that problems will surface as quickly as possible and they can get uh, then uh, quick problem-solving, quick feedback, and then quick problem-solving as a result of that In the process of people solving those problems, uh, that develops then the skills of the people and uh, also uh, develops a a kind of uh, knowledge base for Toyota uh, to become a learning organization. So when we put that all together, what it added up to was continuous improvement. The processes, people, and problem solving plus a long-term perspective brings you to a culture of continuous improvement, and that's the, the message In order to get there, you have to have a really, really uh, deep belief, a passion for developing people and for for believing that people are your most important asset rather than uh, a uh, replaceable part in a Tayloristic sense. Uh, So, so, uh, And and then when we reflected on our experiences with uh, the many different kinds of companies that we've worked with over the years, uh, we had two observations. One was that almost every, in every single case, that company or organization uh, might not be a, a manufacturing company, but it could be a hospital, you know, a not-for-profit. That organization, in every single case, believed that they were unique and that what they, what Toyota does in its factories, does not apply to them.
0: Right. So they had that.
1: That the first hurdle is. You know, can can we you know set up a bunch of doctors in a row with patients that go down like in, on an assembly line uh, and planned on cords when uh, when the patient's going to die or something like that? So they try to just imitate the uh, you know what you see in a factory. Uh, as a, and uh, we realized that was never the message. The message was you need to solve your problems, and what what's generic is the problem-solving process and the thinking process. The second issue that we uh, realized was that it was very unusual for the companies we we were working with, and we're consultants, and we're getting paid, and they're committing to lean programs. It was very, very unusual that they were really thinking that their first priority was people development. In almost all cases, their first priority was to do projects, improve processes, and get short-term results. So uh, in the book, we have most of the book is case studies of companies in different industries, from mining to uh, healthcare to uh, creating nuclear fuel to designing uh, an automotive system, uh, the engineering design process. So, we tried to pick a, a variety of very different situations uh, to answer the question of, you know, can this apply in different circumstances, and cases where either we or people we know and respect were the sensei, and they were using the, the the method we learned from Toyota of developing people uh, so that they could solve problems following the plan to do, to, to check, act process. So that was the the purpose of the, the Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement, to uh, try to teach, really, the thinking behind uh, developing a culture of continuous improvement.
0: Well, it sounds like... Uh, You pulled the end on cord on your own writing process when the original concept uh, seemed to evolve into this book.
1: Absolutely. So we were doing that, and then, you know, then uh, in a freak, because really of a freakish set of circumstances in uh, the fall of 2009, uh, while we were working on this book, uh, Toyota then had their set of problems, which uh, ironically, Uh, were uh, perceived to be problems of failing to follow all the things I just talked about, Uh, failing to actually see the real problems, failing to pull the end on, failing to then solve those problems internally, uh, failing to develop people to the point where they uh, had the ability to, to see and solve the problems and even hiding the problems, which is completely... Uh, contrary hundred eighty degrees to the uh, to it away so the uh, when the recall crisis when the you know, the news started getting bad in that in the fall uh, I was getting lots of phone calls for from uh, reporters and to ask you know mo- what my take was on to's problems and the large number of recalls and what happened to their quality and has the company really gone that backward and uh, why did they go backward and the the assumption of every reporter i talked to was that these were real problems they represented a huge step backward in quality for toyota toyota was actually putting americans at risk uh because of uh safety problems in their their cars and they were not willing to admit it they weren't they were hiding the problems so that was like the starting assumption so of course usually reporters knew about things before i did they would find (laughs) out something that morning at 6 a.m and (laughs) <laughs> and call me, and, you know, I hadn't read the paper yet. And uh, so uh, so I was trying to, uh, you know, in real time figure out what the heck was going on. Right. And, uh, and I had been, you know, visiting Toyota and writing about them and at their plants and in their engineering offices, so I hadn't seen any change that would indicate that they were having any more problems than usual. Uh, and, in fact, in the recession, Toyota had unlike most other companies, they didn't lay anybody off. So if they had an extra 1,500 workers in the plant, they worked on Kaizen, and mostly it was working on quality. Uh, And they were all very proud. They showed me the statistics, and and, in all cases, their quality was at the highest level it had been at in uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, And particularly the Americans, where we're trying to catch up with Toyota quality in Japan, which keeps on getting better and better, so by every measure I could look, I could see and, they, and in the 2009 they had won more J.D. Power Awards for quality than anybody else, so every measure in the world it's kind of like looking out the window and looking at the weather reports and the weather is great and then suddenly you see on TV that there's an alien invasion <laughs> and your town is being blown up, but you look out the window and you don't see anything. You know? Yeah. Uh, the Orson Welles old radio thing. So, uh, so anyway, it seemed it, it didn't make sense to me. It was, you know, I it was contradictory to all the facts and everything I observed. Uh, as I delved into each case, what I found is, in fact, it probably was, you know, more like the Orson Welles uh, ploy. Uh, and the, you know, the initial thing was uh, floor mats that were somehow defective, and mm-hmm. they. Jump up, and they grab your accelerator pedal, and cause some acceleration. And then, uh, on top of that, uh, interference from uh, from cell towers causes your uh, computers to go in the wild, and your cars take off on their own. And then you uh, press on the brake, and the brakes don't work, and the car and the computer systems just go nuts, and they take over your car, and and uh, you go on these hundred mile an hour rides, and that end in accidents and even deaths. Anyway, there was no truth to any of that. There was nothing defective about Toyota carpets. And I have, uh, in my family, three Toyotas. I have a Lexus, and my wife and son have Toyotas. And so we went out and looked at the carpets, and we looked at, uh, and it was very apparent that there was, and my uh, uh, wife and, and son's car were in the recall for the uh, carpet. It was very apparent that there was no problem. Uh uh, But it was also started, you know, it didn't take long to kind of figure out that the problem was that people buy aftermarket Mm -hmm. uh, all weather floor mats and they pile them on top of the carpet that comes in the car. By design and very intentionally, in every tray of the car, the the carpets that come in the car have two holes and you fasten them down to clips on the floor so they can't slide. But if you buy then, another all-weather floor mat. Some people use uh, uh, shower mats because they're cheap, and they just put them on top of the uh, carpet. Uh, So you already have the carpet that came with the car. Then you have a carpet mat that came in the car and fastened down, and on top of that you have a rubber mat. And uh, and if those slide, and particularly if you stack more than one, and some people stack two or three or four, (laughs) and if they slide forward... They can entrap the pedal. It was kind of interesting because there's recently been a recall by GM for the same thing, just in the last month, for uh, for, for uh, pedal entrapment. Uh, so it can happen in uh, in any car, uh, but it happened it to, to in, in a it happened to happen in a car in which a policeman was driving in San Diego, and the family died. That got a lot of publicity. So that's really started that, and that started that led to, to almost five million cars recalled. Right. Uh, for what is arguably not a defect in the car, but a defect in the use. And then each time there was another recall, uh, it was kind of snowballing because then Toyota got paranoid and then the the government was starting to get criticized for not being tough enough mm-hmm. on Toyota in an environment where American car companies are starting to come back and, and Americans want the American car companies to succeed and people have lost their jobs and they're pissed off. And, the whole environment was just uh, kind of set up to find uh, find a find a, uh, a company to take down to find a scapegoat, and Toyota happened to be that scapegoat.
0: So yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned you know the recent GM recall. I don't remember that being um, a huge national issue in comparison to everything was right. Um, so about Toyota, now, going back, you were talking about being in the Toyota factories and how they were measuring. Um, highest quality in 10 years. I mean, does that kind of point to, you know, uh, outside of the floor mat issue, some of the other allegations of issues being more an instance of design flaws, as opposed to things that were, you know, being, if you will, built incorrectly, that these weren't simple manufacturing defects that were somehow getting through the factory? Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, And that's true not just for the format, but there's been roughly about 15 recalls. Once, As the snowballed, Toyota began to recall anything and everything uh, that could possibly be a problem. So in the last year, they've had about 15 different recalls, and none of them has had anything to do with manufacturing. Now, when you're in manufacturing, you build what engineering designs. And, in fact, if you're perfect in manufacturing, you build it perfectly the way engineering designs it and if you build it perfectly to a design with a flaw then you're perfectly building in that flaw so uh these are, none of these have been manufacturing issues uh there's been a couple cases there was a uh a problem with a dana uh driveshaft in the uh Tacoma that was in fact uh some sort of a manufacturing defect or some scratches on some 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 uh some of some part uh it was a fairly small number of parts, a fairly minor problem. Uh, the same problem occurred in drive shafts that were in a Nissan vehicle in and in a Ford vehicle, and they both said, no, this isn't a safety problem. They didn't do a recall, but turned out to do a recall. Yeah. But other than that, uh, every other one that I know of was some sort of design mistake, and mostly design mistakes leading to something that was a customer annoyance, like the sticky pedal was actually a customer annoyance rather than really a safety issue. But so the uh, the total number of uh, accidents that NHTSA will report—that's the government agency that deals with sa- highway safety you go to them and you say, "How many deadly accidents have you confirmed because of a Toyota defect?" You know at, that was related to these recalls in last year. They will say one family, and that was the Sailor family, and that was a case where. Uh, the Lexus dealer that loaned them the car put the wrong floor mat in the car. It was a uh, sport utility vehicle, and it was really just too large for the passenger compartment. And it, it automatically, like, was already touching the pedal just about. So it it it, uh, it was a defect in in the dealer, a mistake at the dealer, and had nothing to do with design. Uh, but Toyota's response was to uh, to look look at themselves, reflect as Toyota does, and say if it's possible for for a, a customer, and this happened mainly in the United States. It really didn't happen in any other part of the world, but it happened in the United States. And if you know if Americans uh, really like all weather floor mats, and if their inclination is to put them on the floor on top of the floor mat. Mm-hmm that is provided uh and then take them out in the spring we should be designing against that uh whether we think it's right or not it's not we're engineers it's not our our call how customers use our car so their their counter design was then to cut the pedals shorter and in some cases remove a little bit of the carpeting uh underneath cut it down a little bit and uh that means now you can actually pile, uh, just put one all-weather floor mat on top of the carpet mat that comes in the car and still not have any danger. It's just that that, uh, you know, like what Toyota does uh, with PDCA, with the 5Y process, is ask, why did this happen? And if the answer is it happened because, and you point the finger at somebody else, that would be considered bad problem-solving. Right. So, they, so uh, their, uh, their problem-solving, the stream of problem-solving was that there were problems with people putting the wrong floor mats on. There were problems with sticky pedals. Uh, the engineers in Japan uh, had concluded that these were not really safety issues. There weren't defects in the car. And as a result, they weren't reacting very quickly. Uh, and then they asked why. Why would that happen? And the answer was that the uh, engineers in Japan are fairly isolated from the Gemba and they don't really understand how Americans are using the car or how, how Americans might respond to a sticky pedal or even the perception that they might have a sticky pedal. Uh, there are very few actual cases of sticky pedals uh so therefore they didn't take it very seriously uh and they uh took to, took a long time to investigate and to respond so uh the ultimate root cause was not listening to customers well enough by the the people making the decisions who were engineers in Japan removed from the gemba that was the problem they needed to solve and uh the solutions then there are many, many solutions. Uh, there were things like we need for Americans to be able to make recall decisions. Uh, so they appointed a chief quality officer in America. We need to have the data that uh, the data on customer concerns flowing directly to the engineers who make decisions. the data was flowing to a quality department that would uh, then aggregate the data and look for statistical trends, uh, which is not the trade away. We need the data going right to the decision makers. Uh, we need more uh, control over engineering design decisions in the United States. So they appointed uh, several American chief engineers, and the Toyota Technical Center in Ann Arbor will have more responsibility than ever for cars that are unique to the American market. Mm-hmm. Uh, they added about it. They added a two-week period after uh, in the design process after they have a full prototype of the vehicle that you can actually test and drive and look at uh, that there's a two week period added simply to focus on quality from the customer's point of view what are all the different conditions of use and what could possibly go wrong or could could uh are these controls easy to understand and so they're they're uh uh, building it, designing in uh, the customer's viewpoint. So there, those are a few changes, but e- even those changes, they added 1,000 engineers to focus on quality. Even those changes are, I think, pretty remarkable, and there's, there's another dozen like that. Uh, for a company that could have, if they chose, uh, simply deflected these criticisms and said, you know, these are, this is a public relations issue, let's leave it to our PR people to handle. This is not a real engineering or real manufacturing problem. They could have made that case, and they could have treated it that way. But instead, they took it very personally and seriously, and uh, led by Akio Toyota as a president, they really turned every stone and, uh, and are turning the company upside down so that something like this doesn't happen again.
0: And so, uh, looking at the subtitle of Toyota Under Fire, uh, it says um, basically uh, how Toyota will come out stronger. So, you, you think those reactions are really something that's going to lead to um, a more responsive company, better quality for customers, that it's not just a Absolutely. Re- reactionary response?
1: Well, a reactionary response would have been a public relations campaign. That would be the more, more normal response, or having your CEO go and argue against those claims, like argue we're not responsible for how customers misuse our carpet. Those would have been, uh, you know, superficial responses. But when you uh, you reassign engineers and create new chief engineer positions and add two weeks to your development process and uh, develop intensive quality training programs, the interesting thing is that none of the changes that TRED is making now will show up in the next, well, very few of the changes. The few changes that I'll show up immediately, like they've been recalling anything. Uh, If there's even a hint that there might be a safety problem, it's, you know, they just pull the end on and recall it. So that has an immediate impact. Uh, But uh, the things like adding the two weeks in the design process for cars that are being designed now, we won't see those cars for two years. Uh, So in 2012 uh, or 2013, you'll start to see... Uh, the changes in design made today, and by then, presumably, we will have forgotten, you know, at least it won't be in the front of our mind, these, these, all these recalls. So uh, the actual results of these changes will be long-term. Uh, most companies I know of are more concerned about the short-term containment of the problem And then, as soon as the problem's not talked about in the papers anymore, then they kind of go about their business as usual. Whereas now, what Toyota discovered was not that they uh, had weak that there were weaknesses in the Toyota way philosophy or principles or the Toyota production system or anything like that. What they found was that in certain parts of the company, particularly in engineering, particularly in government relations and the uh, sales parts of the sales organization and the administrative parts of the company that are supposed to be you know in touch with the customers, how they work with dealers in certain parts of the company uh, they uh, were not surfacing problems and responding to the problems as quickly as uh, as they should be and that and when they traced it back, one of the uh, reasons for that was uh, that uh, engineering in Japan, had been stretched too thin because of the rapid growth of the company. And they are relying very heavily on outside contractors, and they are hiring a lot of uh, young engineers who weren't being mentored with the level of depth of training that you would have gotten 20 years ago. Uh, so another thing they did was to uh, add in a layer of management in uh, – in Japan, which is kind of funny because when you add in a layer of management, number one, it sounds anti-lean. Number two, it sounds like you're adding bureaucracy. But uh, Toyota's uh, tradition has been that managers are teachers and in a uh, traditional master-apprentice sense. uh, And if you have one teacher for 20 students, so you have a large class size, they can't teach as well as one student Wow. as, as uh, one teacher for five or six students. So now with this additional layer, they're back to that ratio of about one to five to six. So uh, again, that's going back to the roots of very, very intensive, hands-on, on-the-job training to be exceptional at your craft, in this case, it's the craft of engineering.
0: Uh,
1: that's That's getting stronger, but in a sense, it's also going back to the roots. They're trying to regain the strength they had 20 years ago in uh, in developing engineers. Yeah. Uh, so you could say that in certain parts of the company, in certain aspects, as they grew to become a global company, uh, there was a, a certain amount of bureaucracy that creeped in and they had lost some of their basics and they needed to get back to the basics. And that's really Akio's theme is back to the basics of going to the Gemba and seeing firsthand what the problems are and quick response to those problems and developing people in a patient, slow, painstaking way with uh, mentors who are paying attention to the development of those students and uh, having engineers get the data firsthand instead of having it processed uh, on a computer screen by uh, quality
0: specialists. So maybe as a, a final question or point to wrap up on, um, you know, a lot of people, or at least some people, have thrown around the, the notion after these problems, uh, you know, some sort of idea of, oh, well, see, I told you TPS doesn't work anymore, and it seems clearly uh, that that wouldn't be your view on this, and I, I, I think would tend to not believe that either. I think some people have said, by comparison, well, it's really a case that Toyota got away from their TPS principles. Do you, do you think that's a fair summary, or is there sort of? I mean, it seems like there's elements of a, well, of I a think slightly a more, more complicated. complicated. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's uh, unfortunately the world is more complicated than our patience in wanting to sort out things and understand them. And that's why I had to spend so much time over the last year really studying in depth what, what happened. And you have to understand, you know, the, how carpets work and how floor mats work and how sticky pedals work and the internal mechanisms and where the pedals were designed and when they were designed. And, you know, you really, you really need to kind of do root cause problem solving like Toyota does to really understand the problems. Uh, so for example, if you say it's TPS, TPS is something in the factories, yet there was no problem whatsoever in the factories. You're going to throw out TPS yeah. based on zero problems, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, and, uh, then you're going to, you, you could, you're going to look at engineering and say, okay, well, then it's engineering, so they have, a, a pretty, they're supposed to have a great engineering system, let's throw out the engineering part. But in fact, you know, they've been engineering great systems for decades and they make a few mistakes, and then you're going to judge them based on a few mistakes instead of the, you know, millions and millions of, of good decisions they made uh, over, the, over the years. So, uh, so I think it's, you know, it's very superficial to say either there's kind of two buckets, either they're on a pedestal on a desk and they're, they can't do anything wrong, or if they have any da- defect at all, we're going to throw them in the trash and that that's the two places they can be, on the pedestal or in the trash, Uh, that seems very short-sighted. As far as I'm concerned, again, and I'm going by my own experience working with many large companies that are trying to learn, uh, and it goes back to the other book of continuous improvement, trying to learn continuous improvement, trying to learn from TPS, trying to create the kind of culture that Toyota created. Toyota, on their worst day, would be right at the top of my list as one of the best in the world uh, uh, the uh, companies that I'm familiar with uh, they put you know much less than one tenth probably more, less than one one hundredth of the effort that even to in the last few years when they were growing puts into developing people to teaching them basic problem solving to developing true standardized work and having people follow the standardized work to having extreme rigor in their testing processes. And we're trying to teach them those things and they're primitive compared to what we see at Toyota. So it's not as if Toyota went from being, you know, an A student to being a failing dropout. Right. They went from being an A plus 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 student to maybe an A plus plus student instead.
0: Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for you know, sharing um, you know, so much of what you've um, learned and studied over the last year and sharing your perspectives with us. Um, again, the two new books coming out, uh, Toyota Under Fire, um, Amazon says that's coming out uh, in March. It's coming out in March. And then the Toyota Way to Continuous Improvement is coming out after that in April, correct?
1: Right, that's correct.
0: Okay. And then, um, it, other than finding you on Amazon, is there a, a good website um, for your work and, and your books that, that you would share with the listeners? Well, I too? just,
1: ironically, just last night, and it was at the uh, publisher request, the McGraw-Hill's marketing department, they set up a Facebook public page for me. And, uh, we're going to try to make that work. I've never used Facebook before. My kids use it, but I've never used it. So uh, that may end up being a good way.
0: On Facebook. So thanks again for sharing. You're
1: welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org.